Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Kelly. I am a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably, the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, on Stitcher Radio, and now on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week in the podcast, Mr. Tommy Emanuel. On last week's programme, we talked about the fact that Tommy Emanuel was going to be on today, and we mentioned the fact as well that Andy McKee had said that Tommy Emanuel was probably the best guitarist on the planet, and he's not the only one that says this and thinks this. He's so highly regarded. He gets that acoustic guitar out, he's playing the melody, he's playing the bass line, he's playing about five, six parts. He's incredible. It doesn't get any better than Tommy Emanuel. And I want to encourage everybody to make sure when they download this podcast that they subscribe, to make sure the episode comes to you for free each and every week on scottkibbe.com and Stitcher Radio and of course, like I said, on iTunes. Make sure you're sharing this on your Facebook and your Twitter because I tell you what, Tommy Emanuel is going to have his guitar at the ready for this interview. It's going to be a good one. Okay, we are back on the Talk Music Podcast with Mr. Tommy Emanuel. How are you, Tommy? I'm good as gold. Good, good as gold. gold. How are things up in Scotland? Things are, are all right in Scotland, yeah. Um, as usual, it's a miserable day. So just as just to, <laughs> as, you, as you can expect, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right, so... <laughs> You're seven years old and you hear Chet Atkins on the radio for the very first time. Um, am I right in saying he was playing the track Windy and Warm? Is that right, Tommy? Yeah, he was playing Windy and Warm. It's a uh, well, it's become it's become a piece that um, everyone learns when they first get into fingerstyle music. Um, and uh, Chet told me that um, John Loudermilk wrote the song for him. Uh, 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 with the brief that Chet had been recording kind of jazzy sounding records and he wanted to come back to country but he didn't want it to be the normal country he wanted it to be somewhere in between so that's why the piece is a blues sounding piece and it's it's simple but it, but it's uh, it's very bluesy Oh, it's a great piece, it certainly is. Now, you am I right in saying you wrote to Chet Atkins when you were 11 years old? Is that right, Tommy? That's correct. Yeah, uh, I, I wrote him a fan letter, just like any other fan would. Uh, see, the other thing you got to remember that I come from the bush, come from the country in Australia, so um, to, to write to someone who was as popular and famous as Chet Atkins was... It was a big deal for me, and and uh, I, when when I wrote the letter, I basically said, I lo- I love your guitar playing, I I love your music, uh, and I have some of your albums, and I'm trying to play in your style, you know. And on the envelope, I wrote, Chet Atkins, Nashville, America. Boom, that's it. 
and I sent it off, and he he got it, and wow. he wrote me back. Wow, that's excellent. So, what did he write to you? What did he say? He he said uh, stuff like, "I had no idea that somebody so far away knew me, and uh, I'm glad that you're playing music, and uh, I hope to meet you one day." Just like that. But it wasn't until years later that uh, some friends of mine recorded me playing in their lounge room and they sent the tape to Chet without telling me. And then a couple of months later, I get this letter out of the blue from him saying, I heard your tape and, and I'm really impressed. And um, when you come to Nashville, here's my phone number. Excellent. So... so uh, your idol writing back to you was, you know, I mean, that was like a dream for me. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And um, so eventually, it was quite a few years later, 1980, I made my kind of pilgrimage to America, first of all, to see the place and to see people play um, and, uh, and to meet Chet for the first time. And it was such a big deal for us. It really was. But uh, and he made me feel so comfortable and he was so welcoming and, and such a nice person. And uh, it was just, I don't know, it, it, was, it was a magical time. And when I first played for him, um, he didn't join in straight away. He had his guitar like I have mine here, and he sat with his arms crossed like this, and he watched me play. And every now and again, he'd just point at something I was doing, and he'd say, I didn't do that. <laughs> and then I'd play another song, and, and then he'd listen, and then he'd go, I didn't do that, you know, and he was pointing out all this stuff that I was doing. And the funny thing was, is that I was a bit paranoid. I was a bit concerned that I would just sound like a bad version of him, you know, because I, I loved his music so much and I played his songs and, and uh, it, it, it was what I was into, you know, as a guitar player. I, I wasn't making a living playing that way. I was making a living playing rock and roll music uh, country music and and playing on people's records. I was the guy who, if you wanted the whole album done in one session, then call me because I'll I'll come in and I'll cut everything one take. That's what I was doing. That's why I got all the work. I could come in and play stereo rhythm parts, left and right channel, identical, and remember every little detail that I did on the rhythm part. Then double it and then I could put fills in around the vocals and I'd be done. It'd be like one take, one take, one take. That's how I, that's how I worked. And so that's what I would, I was making a living playing on people's records, playing on commercials. Uh, and I got, oh, I got so much work because I was quick. I could, and I, and even though I couldn't read music, my specialty really was if you had a, a song and you had no idea what you wanted to do to uh, to uh, tell the players what to play, I could give you 20 alternatives, one after the other, and that's that's kind of what I specialised in. Um, so, but what I did for my own enjoyment was 
to play chess music and play that style. And um, eventually, when I came to America uh, to work, to, to try to get started, um, the first thing I did is I uh, started playing gigs, guesting with Chet. So it was a great way to start. Unbelievable. It must have been such a dream, writing to him at such a young age and then eventually getting to jam with him. I mean, it, it, it's. I came from a place that was not much bigger than than uh, Kirkmichael or somewhere, you know, up in Scotland. I mean, I came from nowhere, and uh, well, I was just crazy about music and about the guitar, and and I worked out how to make that sound, you know. Now, when when you're a kid and you do that, people's eyes bug out and they, they, they don't know what the hell they're hearing, you know, because everyone just goes, you know, that's what everybody was doing, you know, and I came out playing. Somebody else is obviously a massive fan of Chet Atkins, somebody that you've toured with a lot, you've recorded with him too. Martin Taylor, we were fortunate enough to have Martin on the podcast. But you've got to you've got to tell me, Tommy, what was your impression the first time you heard Martin play? Can you remember? Oh, I, I was uh, truly amazed because the first time I saw Martin was on a television show in Australia. And I was on tour with my band and I and I was uh I was just astounded at his playing, and I rang. I actually I rang the TV station, and because they they knew me and I knew them, they told me where he was staying, what, what hotel he was at, and I rang the hotel and I invited him to come and play with me. So Martin was playing a little jazz club in Sydney, and I was playing the State Theatre, the beautiful venue in Sydney. And um, and so I invited him to play. N Nigel Kennedy was there as well, and uh, Nigel and Martin were my guests on that show. And when Martin and I played "I've Got Rhythm" and uh, uh, some Django Reinhardt tunes, the audience went absolutely out of their minds. I can tell you. And uh, 
and I think, you know, Martin has fans all over the world and people love his music and his playing and uh, he's a phenomenal musician and I love working with him, you know. We just did a tour to support the Colonel and Governor album and um, uh, he's on the road at the moment with the great guitars. Um, uh, I think they just finished in California, so uh, he'll be here, he'll be back in Scotland probably today. Yeah, he's he's an amazing player, and I always think that you guys complement each other really well. Whenever oh, you see um, guitar players playing, sometimes you get the feeling they're trying to outdo each other, but you guys are just like I said, it complements each each other so much. We have a lot of fun playing together, and I. Uh, I don't get a chance to play that kind of 30s and 40s swing music as much as I'd like because I love that music and I love being an accompanist. And one of the things I love to do with, with Martin is just play the, the groove underneath him and let him go, you know, because he's a great soloist and he's got so many good ideas. And he, he plays horn lines and stuff that a lot of other guitar players don't play. And it's wonderful. It gives me a chance to do that. <coughs> I'm thinking like the band. I'm chugging away, you know, and uh, the influence of, of Django, but the, more the rhythm style of Freddie Green and um, Homer Haynes from Homer and Jethro. He was my biggest influence as a rhythm player. And he played, incidentally, on all of Chet Atkins' early records. It was him who did that. <laughs> That's Homer Haynes, and that's where I learned what what I thought jazz was, you know. And then, you know, when I was in my twenties and I moved to Sydney, um, I heard Joe Pass and Barney Castle and people like that, and that was a whole different ball game uh, of, of jazz, you know. And then along came uh, um, Lee Rittenauer and Larry Carlton and people like that with fusion and and. Yeah, it was a whole different world out there, you know. This is long before you were born, I'm sure. <laughs> I wouldn't care to admit that. But talking of rhythm playing, uh, Tommy, one thing yeah. one thing that I've read that when you were initially learning to play by ear, yeah. you thought, you didn't realise that there was a rhythm guitar and a bass playing and you learned the two parts. Can you demonstrate a little bit of that to us? Exactly. I... Oh, well, we were listening to The Shadows. My, my bro I wanted to be Bruce Welsh and my brother wanted to be Hank Barber, you know. And isn't it funny how we all have to have role models and people who show us the way. It's, it's wonderful. I like that that seems to be nature's plan. Um, but uh, when, we, when we heard those Shadows records, I wasn't aware that there was a bass guitar. I thought the rhythm was done by Bruce Welsh, and that's it, you know. I didn't know about the bass. And so I worked out how to play the bass part on a lot of the records. So the bass is going... And Bruce is going... But what I'm doing is... Thank you. 
So you got that going in there. And then that's what that's what we did. And we played with my brother playing drums and my brother Phil playing the lead. We sounded like four, but there were only three. And it was just one of those things. And, you know, and I remember those early days because everybody wanted to play all the Shadows music. It was the best music on the radio. The Shadows, the Ventures, Dwayne Eddy, uh, all that kind of stuff. And then there were some Australian instrumental bands too. There was one called the Atlantics, and they were really good. And they, they had a similar kind of thing. Of course, everybody was influenced by the Shadows, everybody. Without a doubt, and I think that influence still carries through today. Tommy, give us one minute. We are just going to advertise some of our previous episodes. A lot of absolutely amazing, mind-blowing episodes available for you at scottcowie.com, Stitcher Radio, and of course on iTunes. Episode 1, we had Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols. Episode 2, Huey Morgan for the Fun-Loving Criminals. Episode 3, Sandy Tom. 4, Brian Ray for Paul McCartney's band. 5, another Australian guitar player, but her name's Oriante, and she's amazing as well as Tommy Emanuel. Anyway, episode 6, Bob Jacobs, a head spokesman of NASA. Episode 7, Phil Toll, Metallica's Therapist, Wet 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 on episode 8. Episode 9, Andy McKee. 10, Steve Craddock. 11, Cliff Goldmacher. 12, Steve White. 13, Martin Taylor. 14, Stuart Copeland. 15, Dweezil Zappa. 16, Martin Harley. 17, Julian Lennon. 18, Carol Kay, and this episode right here, right now, Mr. Tommy Emanuel. Once again, all these episodes available at scottcowie.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio. Subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, tell a stranger when you're walking down the street. Get the word about as to what we're doing over here. Thank you. So how did the gig with Bill Wyman come about, Tommy? That was because of Martin Taylor. Yeah, here's what happened. I moved to England in 1998, right? And nobody knew me, only Martin. (laughs) I had nothing booked. I had nothing planned. I had a pregnant wife and uh, not much work, you know? And um, what happened is Martin was working with Bill Wyman and the Rhythm Kings when they were forming that band. And it was Albert Lee and Martin Taylor were the two guitar players. Um, Anyway, one day, Martin showed Bill a video of me playing a Merle Travis tune somewhere backstage somewhere. It wasn't a very good quality video. Um, And Bill is such a massive Merle Travis fan. And so he got my number from Martin. And so there I am in my little apartment in Harrow on the hill. And the phone rings and it's Bill Wyman. And he said, would you come in and play on this track and and can you play like Merle Travis? And I said, is there a mustache in Mexico? Are you kidding me? Does a one-legged duck swim in a circle? Does the Pope wear a funny hat? Of course I can play that stuff. You know, I love that stuff. So, and it turned out to be a, that, uh, no, what was the song? Um, 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 uh, anyway, I got to go. A real Travis style, you know, and uh, we just hit it off and, and I had so much fun with them. I ended up doing 
the Double Bill album, which is a double album, and I did the one groove before that. And then I I said to Bill uh, that uh, I wanted to tour with the with the Rhythm Kings. I wanted to be the opening act because it was a perfect audience for me. And so he he approved that, and uh, I did a thirty minute spot uh, to get started in England. That's how I got started in England, Scotland and Ireland and everything was we're opening for the Rhythm Kings. And I'd come out and I'd play 29 minutes. I never played 30 minutes. I always played 29, you know, as a mark of respect. You never play overtime. So I played 29 minutes and uh, I gave the audience everything I had. I mean, I turned myself inside out. Um, and I got into a lot of trouble on that tour because uh, I was selling so many CDs that the main act got pretty annoyed with that. And and Bill said to me, you, you can't be selling more product than the, the, the main act. It's just not on, you know. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm, I can't help it. I'm trying to make a living here, you know. Listen, you don't make any money as an opening act. You don't get paid much, 250 pounds or something, you know. So... Yeah, but I was selling, I don't know, 80 or 90 CDs a night. You know, I think the band were probably selling 25 to 30 CDs a night. So there was a bit of a, there was a, bit of a meeting called on the bus one night. And uh, so they, they then said to me, you can put your CDs up for, out for sale when the band walk on stage. Right. In other words, when everyone's back in the hall, you can put your product out there for sale. So I figured it was a pretty dirty trick, you know. And because uh, what I used to do is I'd play my set and then I would tell the audience I'll be out in the foyer at the merchandise table and I would come out there and sign autographs and people would buy the CDs. I, I'd sell so many CDs. And so none of the Rhythm Kings would, would come out to sign autographs. And so they asked me to put my stuff on the table when the band came on. And so I said to the audience that night, I'll see you after the Rhythm Kings. I sold just as many. <laughs> so they were a bit... Uh, they were a bit annoyed with, with, with me, but uh, it was fun. It was a fun tour, and it really got me started. And I met all the promoters and I met people and that's how I started in England. So thank you, Bill and the Rhythm Kings and thank you, Martin Taylor. Great stuff. It's, it's, it's great stories there. It really is. Now, I'm going to name um, two or three of your songs and if it's okay um, for you just to give it a little bit of an explanation as to how they came about and then um, and maybe give us, of course, a demonstration of the song itself. Um, is it okay to start with uh, the track Lewis and Clark? Oh, Lewis and Clark, yeah. Um, Lewis and Clark is a, um, a song I wrote um, after I read the journals of Lewis and Clark. They, these are the people that uh, President Thomas Jefferson had done a deal with um, Napoleon, and he had bought for $20 million, he gave the French this money and said, everything west of the Mississippi is mine. <laughs> it's our country. So um, 
what what he needed then was to find out what was there. And of course, what was there was uh, the plain, the the prairies of Kansas, and and um, uh, right up to Oregon. But what was there were the Indians. That was their country. And uh, so Lewis and Clark, using the river system, made it all the way to the California coast. And this is uh, when I read that story, I was so inspired. And what I tried to do with the song was uh, tell the story uh, in a simple way. Uh, so the opening phrase is like an Indian sound. Excellent. One of the, the 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 brilliant things about your set is the the uh, the reaction is fantastic every time you play it. The Beatles medley. Oh yeah. When I'm 64, here comes the sun, and so forth. Um, oh. Is this something that's developed over time? Say again, brother. Is that is this something that's developed over time, or did you have the the three or four songs all together and pretty much straight away? more to it now I'm, I'm doing you know I'm starting with you know uh, uh, and I'm, I'm using the capo and then I'm throwing the capo up in the air after here comes the sun and going into uh, uh, um, uh, uh, and then into my love don't bring me
It's a nice surprise when I go. Same thing. 
coming up this year then what have you got to promote when are you gigging what have you got coming up um well i just finished russia and latvia and hungary we played in budapest and pesh um and next week i'm into italy and then i've got the whole pretty much the whole month of may is canada and then june july will be america august uh i'm coming over here i think uh, my UK dates, including Scotland, including Glasgow, will be in uh, in January. So, in the wee cold months, I'll be up there. In the wee cold so, months, well, we uh, a lot of our listeners, no doubt, if they're not already sold any idea to come and see you, I've no doubt the podcast will hopefully boost up the numbers for that event without question. Um, Tommy, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. 
You too, buddy, and, and uh, th thanks for, for what you're doing out there. And uh, it's been a great pleasure to speak with you. What can you say about that? What can you say about that? That man was on fire, and you can tell he was enjoying it and getting really into it, breaking his songs down. Ron, our producer, what, what do you think of that, Ron? Oh, he's just amazing. He's a, such a good yeah. player, isn't he? Yeah. Now, you think it can't get any better than that. Where can we go from here as far as getting these great guitar players on? Ron, this is going to be news to you. Next week, we have John Gom. Really? John Gom, amazing acoustic guitar player. I am really looking forward to this one. You've seen his YouTube clips. How high do you, highly do you rate John? I still don't believe you. You still don't believe me. Nobody believes this face, ladies and gentlemen. ScottCowie.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, download, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. And don't forget to check out John Gom. And a big thank you to Tommy Emanuel and everybody that was involved in helping us getting Tommy on. We will see you guys next week.